We start today a new series where we're likening spiritual growth with the growth that happens in nature, the growth that happens in gardens. And we're going to be exploring how it is that you spiritually grow or how you grow. When we talk in America about our spirit life or your spiritual life or your physical life or your family life, I, I use these kind of phrases, but really the Bible knows nothing of spiritual life. Ancient Jewish thought only knows of life. And all of life is either growing closer to the heart of God, growing closer to the ultimate pattern that God has, or not. And so even when I refer to spiritual life, where we talk about that, we're talking about all of life growing, coming to be something beautiful and lush. The organic metaphor is not one that I innately understand. If you're at all like me, you would understand electronic metaphors better than organic metaphors. I like to download things. I want plug and play. I want to get something off the shelf. I need a new version that I can download off of the internet. I, I, it, it's, it's immediate. It's satisfactory. It's very little toil on my part. But in the Bible... All the metaphors are one of growth, of organic, of, 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 of fields. The Bible ends with the imagery of a garden, the last book of the Bible. We also see a pinnacle point in the Bible, Jesus in a garden. Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with his ultimate purpose and whether or not he is going to go and lay down his life, be a seed that is killed by putting, being put in the ground to bring forth life to many. We also see images of sowing, reaping. We see the imagery of the, the cedars of Lebanon. We all throughout the Bible, in fact, the very first book in the Bible, the very first story in the book in the Bible is all about living things that are growing. Let's take a look at this in Genesis chapter 2. Now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. We see here God creating the earth, the shrubbery, all that sustains nature, and also, God also creates men and women. He creates them both, no matter what our spiritual orientation is in here right now, whatever you believe about Jesus or believe or don't believe about the Bible, all of us should be able to agree that we didn't plant ourselves. Nobody in here made the strategic thought to weave together DNA. Nobody made the strategic thought or contributed in any way of bringing together an amalgamation of proteins or creating vertebrae. However long that happened, all of us inherited or had a body created for us just like the earth has been created, and yet, according to that story, God puts a person, people, humans, in the garden for a purpose. Comes to a greater light on this next verse. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. So even though God creates the earth, this is the greatest reason why I should be a creationist. Not a creationist. 
a uh, yeah creationist. Yeah, why I should be a why I should care about the earth because part of my role as a human being is to care and manage for this earth. Anything that is growing needs somebody to tend it. And this is the metaphor for us. God has created us. God can do things in us and through us that we've never thought about. But I have to own my growth. I have to own my growth. The humans owned making sure the garden functioned properly, making sure that the earth is functioning okay, that we're taking care of nature. And similarly, I need to own my growth. I need to own how I'm developing spiritually, how I'm doing in my relationship with God, and not just assuming or hoping that God is going to cause me to grow. IQ. What's IQ? What's that stand for? A lot of you have a low one, obviously, because you haven't... (laughs) Yeah, into IQ, intelligence quotient. Uh, how about this one? It's a newer one, EQ. What's EQ? Emotional quotient, right? There's some, some people who can be very great at putting together complex problems, but just can't manage emotions, can't engage. Your, your EQ. Another one that's come up in vogue recent is RQ. What's RQ? Relational quotient, ability to interact, have the right understanding of what needs to be said at the right time, understanding when to shut your yapper, your RQ, your, your relational, and then what's GQ? <laughs> Gentlemen's Quarterly, absolutely right. Gentlemen's Quarterly, you know, Gentlemen's Quarterly had an issue recently of, a, of the 10 most stylish people. It is an honor, it is always an honor to be featured in GQ magazine, especially when it's a, the 10 most stylish people. I don't know if you've seen this recent uh, issue right here, but um, <laughs> this issue right here, 10 most stylish men in America. Uh, obviously, I've never been on that. Ma- I will never be on that. Nobody who wears Crocs will ever get on GQ. It just... It just doesn't happen. But even GQ, how does somebody get on GQ? Someone has owned, they've owned their primping. They've owned their, 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 their sense of style. You don't just automatic be, automatically be seen as stylish. You buy certain clothes, you manscape yourself, you do whatever you need to do to actually be on the cover of GQ. Somebody put a lot of thought and effort into how they look to ever be on the cover of GQ. In the same way, nobody just grows and has a vibrant life. Somebody puts a lot of thought and effort into growing. So the GQ we're talking about today is actually our growth quotient. What is your growth quotient? Four things we're gonna look at in greater depth over, uh, over this series, but this first point, this first part of growing is the main point for today. In order for you and I to, to have, a, have a growth quotient, we have to know what we want. In order for us to grow, we have to know what we want. What, what is the point? What is the point of growth? What, what am I trying to grow to? You have to have a vision, a vision for your growth. Like this, I'm on a plot of land right now. And this is bare opportunity. This is bare potential. But nothing has happened here yet unless I obtain a vision for what could go here. Every beautiful landscaping you've seen started when a gardener who owned that plot of land and said, this is my responsibility, had a vision for what that could look like. Whether it was box shrubs with mulch, whether that was tomato plants, whether that was just a lush um, red fescue, greenery, grass. I mean, anything that is beautiful around your yard, in a park, anywhere, started when someone had a vision, someone knew what they wanted in that place. And so 
when we talk about growing or growing spiritually, what is it that we want? What does that mean, really? I hear people talk about things like, well, you know, I'm a real spiritual person. Or I'm not a spiritual person. What, what, what does that mean? What's, what's the vision behind that? What does that mean? Does it mean, you know, you like Oprah? If you like Oprah, you're a spiritual person? Does it mean if, does it mean if you don't cry at certain movies that you're, you're not a spiritual person? Does it mean, that, well, what, what, the, what exactly is that vision? How, how does that come to being? I think this is one of the reasons why in churches, in religious organizations, spiritual institutions, whatever you want to call them, whatever brand there are, women always, I know you shouldn't say always, but it is true, unfortunately, always outnumber men. Crosses is very rare because our ratios are very, very close, but always outnumber. Why is that? Why is that? There's a number of different theories for it. The first leading one is women are more spiritual than men and so more attracted to those kinds of things. That, that could be true, depending on how you're interpreting it. Another idea, and I'm going to speak with generalities here. It's a generality, but I think it's true. Men are genuinely less prone to hang with something when there's no point. All right, what's the point? What is it? Land the plane. Come on, land the plane. What is the point? And so simply going to an environment where there's going to be spiritual things happening... If there's no concrete vision for what is the point men tend to not be attracted to, especially if it's going to be on a Sunday, it's going to be two hours long and there's football. Why would I do that? What, what is the point? Because I have a vision for what my Sunday afternoon looks like. What, what is it? For, so for you to spiritually grow, what does, what, is, what does that mean? I'll give you one example for a vision or what I want in my life. It comes from the Bible, the book of Galatians chapter 5, when it says the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is a vision that I want in my life. This is a picture of a plot of land. Just like you can envision a plot of land with various fruits. I can picture a life. I could picture my life where I am loving, joyful, peace. patient, kindness, good, faithful, gentle, self-control. That's a vision. That's a vision. Another one that, that ties real closely is what a primary author of the New Testament portion of the Bible said. His name is Paul. He's written more in the New Testament than anybody else. And on five separate occasions, he'll say things like this. Be an imitator of me as I imitate Jesus. In other words, he says, you want to know what Jesus looks like? The ultimate loving, joy, peace, patience. The ultimate person you want to look well, look at me, because we're pretty close, actually. <laughs> He's grown to a spot where he said, my vision is to be like Jesus. And so he, you can't see him any longer, but you can see a somewhat close replica by looking at me. That's another sense of, of a vision. And this governs why you would do certain spiritual activities. Let me tell you something that I hate to do. I'm very bad at it. I haven't done it for at least a decade Actually, maybe two decades. A long time. I haven't done it for a long time. But I'll tell you what, I, 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 what game I hate. Bible trivia. There actually is a game called Bible trivia. Yes, Christians do this oftentimes. They take a great idea that's creative and then they spiritualize it. It gets cheesy. But Bible trivia is this game that I, I, I was awful at it the last time I played. And actually, when I played it, I, I was not very good at it. And I actually found myself going, Man, I need to start reading the Bible more so I can do better at this game. No, 
No. Yeah, I actually know a lot of people that read the Bible and know a lot of the Bible because their vision is to be a walking Bible. Because their vision is to impress people with their knowledge. Because their vision is to somehow have a Bible. Don't get me wrong. I read the Bible. I want more of the Bible. I, I want more of the Bible memorized. But why do I want that memorized? I want that because those words can bring me to a place of being more like Jesus. They can bring me to a place of being loving, more peaceful, more gentle, more self-control. I don't want the Bible so I can impress anybody with my knowledge or I can win a trivia game. But if that's your vision, you may be able to learn the Bible, but you don't have any fruit of the Spirit really happening with abundance in you. You have something else happening. Every area of my life that's growing, I picture ahead of time what I want. Um, we dropped off our oldest daughter, Lena, at school recently, at college. <laughs> oh, oh, man, I'm telling you, I was very surprised, very surprised, because I thought, this is going to be no problem. There's not going to be a tear shed here. Moved all of her stuff in. Mom was staying back, organizing all the little knickknacks in the dorm room, and, and I went to give her a hug goodbye, because that's not my thing, so I kind of hugged her goodbye, and all of a sudden, like, Niagara Falls came, and I was like, oh, man. And I got my car in, or in the truck and drove home, and I was just, oh, man, I was shocked. And, and, and I, th I think the reason was, was because I realized that life would never be the same again. It's just never the same. Never going to be five people together around a table on a Tuesday night after school. Never going to be an impromptu time saying, hey, let's go to a movie. And the whole family goes, and then it's not going to happen again. Life will never be the same. But the reason why I was surprised at how I was going to feel that way is because this has always been the vision. Get the hell out of the house. That has always, <laughs> always been the vision. Yes, I see a parent over there. That's always the vision. What do I mean by that? I mean by that, when we had kids, like some of you want to have kids, some of you want to get married, some of you want to have kids. And I know a lot of people, uh, in fact, when I got married, I didn't have any vision behind it. My vision was, boy, I think it's about time to have some companionship and other relations. I think it's time that I get married. That was kind of my vision. I, I, it was, that was a bad vision. Bad, a, bad, a good vision if you want to grow and you want to get married, something like, I need somebody who is at the same place as I am spiritually, who's able to spell things out and see things in my life and grow me, and I'm going to do the same thing for them. That's a vision that a marriage can grow in if, if you get married. Likewise with kids, people all the time are like, man, I need kids, why? Um, I just got the clock ticking. Or you have the clock ticking. So that's your vision. The clock is ticking and Christmas is coming, so you want a baby. <laughs> our vision for our kids has always been we want to have 18 solid years to develop you spiritually, to disciple you, to build into you, to prepare you to leave, to prepare you to leave and go have an impact on the world. So that was all, that was it. anything in my life that is, I'm going to grow and have to say, why? My vision for why I'm a pastor or why I would say certain things or not say others is my vision for doing my job and growing in my job is I want to model what I'm motivating other people to be. That's my, that, that dictates why I'm growing or doing something. Whatever it is, and I'm not saying what your vision should be for what it means to have a happy spiritual life. I'm just saying if you don't know what you want, no one goes to a plot of ground and just says, oh, whatever's going to happen there, that whatever, whatever. 
No, everybody who has a plot of ground that is vibrant, abundant, is growing, started with somebody who had a vision, someone who knew what they want. And then, once we know what we want, we start to break the soil. Start to break up the soil. Um, I don't know if you notice this or not, but tomato plants never naturally grow. Lush grass that is weedless never naturally happens. Boxwoods that surround a house, perfect. Oh, how did that boxwood, perfect. That boxwood just popped up and bark is there. Gosh, amazing. Black gold mulch just came. Wow, wow amazing. Beautiful, great, vibrant things never just happen. Actually, the opposite happens. Weeds happen. Uh, Deer happen and nibble on things. I mean, it's always the way it is. And so for us, for me, to grow spiritually, the best, purest thing will never naturally happen. The exact opposite of what I want to happen will naturally happen. I will never just gradually and accidentally become more loving. I will never gradually and accidentally become having more self-control and discipline in my life. Never. In fact, this gr- ground is like that. This uh, dirt's only been here for a couple days. I've, stood on, I've barely stood on this thing, and yet already it is hard. Already, if I was to, to grow something here, I would need to chop and break up the soil because gravity is constantly working to compact this soil and if anything of significance is to take root in it, it needs to be broken up. This is the same way with our hearts. This is why this agricultural metaphor goes throughout the entire scriptures. Here's a couple examples. Book of Hosea. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord. I have to break up my heart to try to seek God. It's, my heart has been lying dormant. It gets hard. Jeremiah puts it this way. This is what the Lord says. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourselves to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts. We talked about circumcision a couple weeks ago. It's always fun to do in church, talking about that. And here, and this is in a couple different places in the Bible, the correlation is made between literal physical circumcision and spiritual metaphorical circumcision. And what this says is my heart, your heart, is naturally getting harder. My heart, your heart, is naturally calcifying, naturally justifying our beliefs, naturally justifying our opinions, naturally getting beat up by the lefts and rights that we take. And so there has to be a process where our heart is circumcised, where the outer layer, if you will, is peeled off. And it's a very grueling process to where we become very, very sensitive And so the sensitizing of ourselves and the breaking up of ourselves is something that takes time and it's hard back-breaking work. This is why I don't have a lot of beautiful things growing around my house. It's hard. It's very, very, very hard. We have up in uh, Mason right now, uh, our our Mason campus, they're celebrating their one-year birthday today, their one-year anniversary. Isn't that phenomenal? Awesome, phenomenal. Great, 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 great. And Man, phenomenal things are happening in Mason. Phenomenal things. People uh, encountering God for the first time, receiving Jesus. People who are kind of throwing off some 
uh, vestiges of religion versus having a relationship with God. Amazing things happening and serving the school district. Amazing numbers of people showing up and growing. It's, it's just from start to finish, it is just phenomenal and fantastic. But what's also been interesting is watching and hearing some people describe it who've been on the ground floor making it happen, who it's really their first experience breaking up soil. I mean, if you just attend a place like Crossroads and you come in here for 65 minutes, you walk into a beautiful lush set, you, you walk into free coffee, all kinds of neat things. You, you see stuff happening in South Africa and it looks like God is just beautifully and perfectly and magically and void of any hard human work making things happen and grow. And that's just not the way it's been. Crossroads is a story of 14 years of hard back-breaking work. And in Mason, it's been 14 years or one year of hard back-breaking work. It's reaping fruit, but it is hard. Anything that yields a great crop mandates hard back-breaking work. And that's one of the reasons why some of us, we're just not growing right now. Or we haven't grown past one-year maturity. Maybe you've been following Christ for 15 years, but you only have one-year maturity 15 times. Because to go to 366 days is going to require some breaking up of stuff in your life. And it's just hard. It's difficult. We prefer not to do it. But we have to, we have to break up the soil to receive, receive things. And then, and then once, once the soil is broken up and we have a vision, some sort of vision for what it could look like. And we were reminded of this every time we go by a cornfield. Don't we all know that when you go by a cornfield, some farmer had a vision. Some farmer said, I want acres and acres of corn. Corn doesn't all of a sudden grow in perfectly straight lines that are spaced apart the right distance. It, there, somebody had a vision to plant corn and they planted the seeds. So we have to do things that plant seeds that will bring the future fruit that we want to grow into. You plant seeds. Plant seeds, corn seeds or tomato seeds or rye grass seeds or whatever. We have to find an intensity, place, activities, attitudes, mindsets, things that will come to grow into what we want to grow. You realize that all of us are getting seeds thrown in our face all day long. I don't know if you realize it or not. There is an unending supply of seeds that are being thrown away. Right now I'm trying to throw seeds at you. I am pushing an agenda on you. I am pushing an agenda on you and throwing seeds at you. Some are going to take and some are not. I just admitted that I'm pushing an agenda on you, but I'm one of the rare ones who might admit it. That doesn't mean it's evil. But everywhere we go, there's someone's putting an agenda on. And every advertisement we watch is somebody putting an agenda on us. Somebody throwing a seed to us, trying to get it lodged in our mind to make us feel like, unless I have that latest gadget, I'm really a loser. Someone to make us feel like, unless I upgrade to that, then I'm not really fulfilled. I like watching movies. I do. I have to be careful because I can't remember a, a popular blockbuster movie that has ever operated under any assumption different than it's an unrealistic expectation that you can keep yourself sexually pure. 
I've never seen the seed sown through a major winning movie that, you, that it is likely and doable and positive and great to save yourself for sex when you get married and only have sex with one person. The seeds are constantly thrown that, no, 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 you got to have it. 40-year-old version, you are weird. Oh, no, no, you, got, you can't do this. Oh, no, that's natural. Those seeds are constantly being thrown. Everywhere I look, seeds are being thrown all the time. Even when I look in media, I realize so Often media isn't even trying to inform me. Media is trying to mold me or media is trying to get me as a target audience to build up their masses so they can sell more advertising dollars. And so media is losing the ability to be objective and actually helpful. See, as if you're following the economic crisis we've been in, you could read the New York Times and you could read the Wall Street Journal and get an entirely different perspective of what's happening. Entirely. You read the New York Times, the problem is business. Business has gotten too big, government hasn't been involved, and that's why we need government to make sure that business doesn't get out of line. Read the Wall Street Journal, the overarching arc of the whole thing is there's too much government. That's why we're in the problem we're in right now. Government forced banks to make loans to people who shouldn't have had loans. And now government would just get out of the way. Adam Smith, the forces, the invisible hand of the market would correct thing. The problem is there's too much government. And who reads one or the other? Those who are attracted to those seeds and want more of those seeds versus oftentimes taking an objective look. Like the way with talk radio. Some of us, it's amazing how many people really, you really believe that talk radio is really trying to help you. Or television, talk television is trying to help you. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it. I'll listen to it or watch it occasionally for entertainment purposes. But every time I do, I realize, man, they really have an agenda they're forcing on me. I'll give you an example here. Keith Oberman, you watch Keith Oberman on MSNBC? He is attracting and amassing an audience to sell soap. He's not trying to help, inform, or bless. He is attracting an audience to sell soap. And it's an audience that is liberal and thinks Republicans are evil. Same with Glenn Beck. He is attracting an audience, building market share, to have more people to sell advertising to and make money. And People do that very well. And so what happens when you're into the Glenn Beck or into Keith Oberman? What happens? What becomes the fruit of that vision? You become more judgmental. You become more superior. You become more angry. You become, nobody watches those guys as fans of those guys and becomes more loving. You never get, oh man, I just became more joyful. I just watched that. Man, I am more joyful right now. Man, I am peaceful right now. God, I'm so glad he laid that out for me. Because now, you know what? That makes me want to be more self-controlled. Now, oh my, you know what? Now that I see it, I'm going to be more kind to people who disagree with me. No. No, never, never, because the seeds of judgmentalism, the seeds of anger, the seeds of whatever are being sown. And so, I'm, again, I'm not saying that movies are evil. I'm not saying the talk radio or television shows. All I'm saying is understand someone is constantly throwing seeds on you. And if you are an untended plot of land, if you don't operate some discernment and you don't own your own growth, you don't own your own heart, you are going to become a person that you don't want to become or you have become a person that you didn't want to become 10 years ago. The good news is we can circumcise our hearts. We're going to start to break up the ground. And then we have these myths that happen like this in spiritual speak in our country. You know, stuff like, well, you know what? Would we ever say tomatoes? Man, I just need to pray for tomatoes. I'm just going to pray for tomatoes and tomatoes are going to come up in my backyard. 
No. You want tomatoes? Go. Have a vision for where it's going to go. Plant it. Break up the ground. Plant tomato seeds. You'll get tomatoes. And yet we go, God, I just pray you give me self-discipline. Would you just give me self-discipline? No. No, you're not going to get self-discipline. Or God's just not going to give you love. You're going to have to cultivate that. If you want self-discipline, you're going to have to find something tomorrow. You're going to start small. Something tomorrow you're going to have to say no to. Don't commit to change your whole life tomorrow. Say no to something. And the next day say, I'm going to say no to three things. Or I'm going to say yes to three. We cultivate that. Yep, but we say, God, I want to, I just pray you just give me this. We don't say, God, I pray you give me tomatoes without working. Or we'll say, you know, um, I'm just going to think positive thoughts and attract tomatoes to me. That's what I'm going to do. Because that's the secret. The secret is to just attract tomatoes to me and bring them to me. And that's the problem. I haven't been thinking enough positive thoughts to bring tomatoes to me. Come on. Come on. I mean, that sells a lot of books and sounds nice because who doesn't want to bring nice things our way when we don't have to sweat and break things up? No. You go ahead and track tomatoes all you want. You're not going to get... Ten plants come in your back by trying to track that. You're going to have to do it the old-fashioned way. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to say, this is what I want. I'm going to have to break up my ground to plant the right seeds. And if we want hearts that are lush, that are open, that are receptive to God, to actually hear God's voice, where patience is popping up in us, where we're being gentle in the midst of a situation where other people are being vitriolic, when we're being confident, when we lose our job, when we're able to be self-controlled, when cancer is eating away at us, and yes, we have our moments, but man, there's a, there's a power there. It's because there's been something that's been cultivated and grown over a long time, and then finally we tend and wait. We tend and wait. People with a high GQ are able to tend and wait. Once these are up, I'm, I'm watching, I'm seeing if weeds are coming up, I'm noticing if a deer is nibbling on leaves, and therefore I'm trying to put fence around, and I'm waiting, I'm realizing no matter how much I do, there's this thing in the Bible that's called, quote-unquote, Waiting on the Lord. It sounds like a cheesy phrase, but it's absolutely true. Waiting on the Lord. And what that means is there's an X factor in growth, even though I own my own growth. There is an X factor where God has to do things. God has to show up or it will not happen. I can do everything right to plant tomatoes, but if there is an adequate sun and is an adequate rain, it's not going to happen. I tend and wait. When we leave here today, we've got a bunch of other great things are going to be happening. Uh, we're going to be taking up an offering. And uh, the way we're going to do it is we're going to have uh, volunteers that are outside the doors. So if you want to do that, when you walk through the doors, you can kind of drop it in a container when you, when you leave here today. And why, why do we do something like that? That's an example of sowing. When I sow, when I plant a seed, I'm not just planting a seed that's going to help other people here in this room, in Crossroads, across Cincinnati, in South Africa. It, it is partially that. But it's also, I'm planting a seed of generosity in me. I'm breaking up the ground because I want to just hold everything to myself. And instead, I'm going to open up my hand and start to release. And so that's why we do that. It's a, it's a growth opportunity. And when we've talked about money around here for the last uh, 13 years or so, we've talked about the 10-10-80 plan, first 10%. When you grow and you're coming close to Jesus is the tithe. It goes outside of yourself. Second 10% is uh, savings, last 80% is whatever the heck you want it to be. That's a basic plan that can be altered as we grow. I want to talk about the 80-10-10 plan. Realize my life, 80% of my life, anybody can do. It's actually kind of depressing when you think about it. 
80% of everything I do, anybody could do. I don't care who you are. If you have a pulse, you could do it. You could do it on your own or you could do it for me 80% of my life. Who can't sleep eight hours a day? Anybody can do that. In fact, I could have you do so much. You could come and fill up my car with gasoline. You could read msnbc.com to get news. You could do this. You could, you could do all kinds of things. 80% of all of my life could be done by anybody. That's how smart I am. 80%. And then 10%, 10% of my life could be done by anybody who has some sort of ed education. You know, even if you have a high IQ, you have to be placed in an environment, what I mean by high IQ, even if you have the God-given ability to understand problems of complexity because of the number of synaptic connections you have or the chemistry in your brain or the size or whatever that happens, that happens, you still have to be placed in an environment that values reading where you have opportunities to grow for that IQ to mean anything. It's not just, oh, I have an IQ. Man, I just, I just graduated from M MIT, magna cum laude. Wow, amazing. I just have, I, I, for me, like, I graduated, thank the laude. I'm just glad, I'm just glad I graduated. <laughs> That's about my, my IQ. But 10% um, of... All of our lives, my life especially, can be done by anybody who has basic education. You could sit in a meeting and make a comment that sounds somewhat interesting. You could sit in a debrief meeting, understand the visual we're trying to do in here and be able to say something like that. 10% of my life, in other words, 90% of all of our lives could be done by anybody who has basic education or, or roughly the equivalent education. But then that final 10% can be done only by me. I'm the only person who can do that final 10%, which is perhaps the most important 10%. I'm the only person that can say no to certain behaviors that shouldn't be happening in my life. I'm the only one. I'm the only person who can own saying yes to something and owning my growth. I'm the only person who, I'm the only person who can parent my kids, father my kids. I'm the only one who can be a dad to my kids. I am the only one who can make the decision to get up early in the morning and read my Bible and to pray. And why would I do that? It's not because I have a vision to do what pastors do. I do that because I want to grow to be more like Jesus. I want to grow in my love, in my care, in my gentleness. I want to grow in being able to be faithful. We've got a thing we're rolling out in a, about a month I'm ecstatic about. It's really going to help, help all of us go to new places outside of here. Um, we're going to talk about that. It's a major initiative to help all of us grow in the environment of our home, one-on-one -on -one with God outside of a place like this. In the meantime, we're going to have exercises for us throughout this series. I have in your program here right now some exercises I've given you for three days. It would be great if we did spiritual exercises every day. I aspire to do exercises like this every day. I miss a day here and there. Um, but I'm at least going to give you three. I'll encourage you to use this as an opportunity to create a vision for growth for you. If you set this time aside, it's an opportunity to break up your ground. It's an opportunity to plant seeds. And so what this looks like, you get a Bible. If you don't have one, you go out to the Information Center. Uh, and there's three different passages in the front of every Bible. Those are contents. You can find out where these passages are. Just pause yourself, stop. And only you can do this. Only no, I can't do this for you. Nobody can do this. You just stop and you say, God, I'm just going to give the rest of my time right now and I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that you would help me see things that I can't see right now. Read, the, read that section of Scripture. And maybe there's something that stimulates for you to write down a vision for what a fruitful relationship looks like in these areas. 
My intent here is not for us to have some mantra that's framed and put on our hallway. And it's also not to get you to say the right thing that you should be saying if you did exactly what the Bible says. Whatever your vision is, whatever it is, I'm just helping us articulate what is it that I really want? What is it that I'm really trying to grow for? What is it that's trying to pop up out of me? You know, when we come in here, we create this to be an experience where we can all grow. That's why it's unsettling when uh, we get in here late because it's a sign of not preparing the soil. You know, it's hard to be rushing and to be having music blaring and be anxious and come in here 10 minutes late when the whole ser- this whole service was dependent on the first 10 minutes. In fact, if you were here the first 10 minutes, you understand what I'm saying, the first five minutes. We're preparing soil with what's happening here for 65 minutes. The same way right now, we're going to do an exercise, a musical exercise. And our vision for this, when we do music around here, our vision is not to do what churches do on a Sunday morning. That's why we have sometimes a lot of music, sometimes very little music, because we have a vision to grow us. And sometimes it takes certain kinds of music or not kinds of music. So we don't do anything here that isn't about a vision to to try to grow the greatest number of people who come. And so we're now going to do what we feel is the best thing to help us grow. We're going to pray, and we're going to do that by doing it through music and operating in a humble way by singing and sitting in a way in which God might move on us right now. And that's what I'm asking, God. I'm asking that um, as we sit and pray, you would move on us right now. I know that uh, people have come in here, and we've given them things, and I don't know if we will go and leave, walk out of here and use it or not. I know that uh, I can go to a hardware store and pick up all kinds of things, but if I don't use it when I go home, it's done me no good. No good at all. And so we're asking right now, you give us even more things right now. I'm trusting you're going to give us some rain and sun for the purpose of growing even outside this place. God, would you please right now bring your elements on us?